0: Hey everybody! This is Tom Salami. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Before I get into this week's episode, I did want to let you know we had a bit of a glitch uh, on the old podcast uh, channel. Some of the uh, some of the players didn't uh, receive the podcasts that we put out last week. So uh, I did send a note about this yesterday, but uh, if you didn't see our Striker Talks that posted last week or last week's Device Talks Weekly, check your podcast players. They're on there now. Uh, again, for some reason, something uh, something didn't happen that was supposed to happen, but we made sure it happened. So uh, do check out those podcast episodes if you haven't done so already. So today we're going to talk about supply chain. I had a fantastic conversation with two gentlemen from Boston Scientific We spoke with Brad Sorensen, the Executive Vice President of Global Operations at Boston Scientific, and Paddy O'Connor, who's Vice President of Supply Chain at Boston Scientific. Some of you may have met Paddy O'Connor at Device Talks Boston. It's great to reconnect with him. And I spoke with them both about how Boston Scientific has been making adjustments to uh, manage the supply chain crisis that not only came on during uh, during the lockdown, during the pandemic, but also uh, we talked a bit about what some of the pressures were prior to that. Uh, they've had some uh, some really interesting adjustments that they've made, uh, both with suppliers and internally with manufacturing. So uh, I'm excited to bring you that conversation. Before we begin, though, I want to let you know we'll be talking supply chain and other great topics at Device Talks West. Please go to devicetalks.com to check out the agenda that we have there. It's happening on October 19th and 20th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. It would be fantastic to see you there. We'll uh, have a lot of great companies presenting, including Boston Scientific. They'll be talking about their efforts in AI and work they're doing with IBM Research. But uh, many, many other great companies will be there as well. So go to devicetalks.com to check out the agenda and, of course, to register. We'd love to see you there in santa clara now to uh, get our uh, supply chain conversation started i'd like to bring in our sponsor paxis i'm speaking with Dwayne han Dwayne is chief strategy officer and vice president of sales and marketing at paxis Dwayne, please tell our listeners about paxis
1: Paxis is a closely held private company that's been in business for over 85 years now. We focus exclusively on providing the flexible packaging needs of healthcare companies around the world. Now, what do I mean by that? Many companies use pre-made pouches in the form of chevrons, header bags, three-side seal. Some use form-fill seal equipment where they form a bottom web and have a peelable top web. Now, keeping in mind that all these have one thing in common, they're meant to be used in a setting where they're presented sterilely, and it's safe for the patient, safe for the doctor, safe for the nurse. So there, there's a lot of know-how that goes into that. A lot of people, I think, know what a pre-made pouch is. They know what a form fill seal package is. But unfortunately or fortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it, there is so much regulation and understanding of what quality means to a quality product in the healthcare space, that I think that's where companies like Paxus Focus were 100% focused on what that actually means.
0: Fantastic. We'll hear more from Dwayne a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about Paxus right now, visit their website. It's Paxus, P-A-X-X-U-S dot com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, is that you? It is. I'm here. Chris, it's me, Tom. I'm over here. Hey, Tom. Hey. <laughs> it's been a long time.
2: It's
0: been a long time. Oh, uh, you have a beard. I don't remember that. Good gosh! It's been so long since I saw you and we talked. Well, welcome back, Chris Newmarker. I know we've had a couple of uh, podcast episodes without this woody banter that I'm sure everyone just loves to bits and missed missed terribly. While we were uh, doing separate things.
2: Well, if they missed it, we're back.
0: We are back. We are back. You've got your New Markers Newsmakers.
2: Yes, I do. The New Markers Newsmakers. Well, last time we talked,
0: and we'll get into New Markers Newsmakers in a moment, we had uh, talked about the State Fair. Did you get to the State Fair? Did you get your bucket of cookies?
2: You know what? I. It was so crowded. It was very crowded. Like the fair is back, man, and um, the uh, line for cookies was extremely long. It was just like <laughs> so, after a long day schlepping around the, the the dusty Minnesota State Fair with like a lot of people, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, well, mom and Dad will make cookies at home. There you go. Work.
0: They're cookies. You can get <laughs> cookies in a lot of different on. places. Okay, uh, they
2: are good. I mean, they do freshly baked. I mean, I, I, I I'm sure they're, they're fantastic. I'm not gonna. Yes.
0: Yeah, I do not want to get I'm sued gonna, by the cookie people
2: to suggest no, there they're, they're are not the highest quality of cookie. I'm sure they are. I'm sure a good good check of our Minnesota listeners are gasping at us right now. Like <laughs> you, you missed it. You walked. <laughs> it's like the line was long. Yeah, was and you long. got little kids
0: and it's not a thing yeah, when they're
2: yeah. older and, you know, they got a little more bark on them. Well, yeah, like, yeah, we'll wait for the <laughs> then they'll well, be sh- older, too, and they'll eat all of them. So we good
0: yeah all right well i'm glad you did make it to the fair i'm sorry you didn't get the cookies but uh now one
2: fun thing is so i got to a um a concert last night my, my my wife and i went out and saw the uh the national have you, have you have you ever heard of the national i have not what you haven't heard of the national sorry great, no great heard- band. but here's the thing so I I mean, we we, we really... I think this was the key. We really liked them. We really got to like their music in the aughts. And we go to the concert tonight, and then we look up a review after we get back, um, and it was talking about how it was like everybody's favorite sad dad band. Oh. So, I mean, are we sad? Am I a sad dad? I (laughs) I I, don't think you are. You seem like like a jolly dad. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, but... (laughs) I guess they're a sad, Dad. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. no, I know. Oh,
0: Why well, was the little...
2: old music? It's it's the music I like when I was younger is becoming dad music. My, uh, <laughs> we've been a uh, boy. Sorry,
0: folks. We're gonna go one more. We'll take one more turn down tangent <laughs> lane, but. We were, I was a Spotify guy until my son convinced me to, to switch to Apple music, which we're doing now. And I still need to, I still have Spotify. I'll see if I get rid of it. But I did find a playlist that said basically like dad music. I'm like, what's that? Dad this? music. And I played it and I listened to dad music while I'm working. And I'm like, I liked every damn song. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> like they, they identified dad music. I just felt so infuriated yet. I enjoyed it immensely. So I guess there is a I guess dads do appreciate you know a certain sound.
2: Dad music is good. Come it's on. All right.
0: Well let's not be sad dads anymore, Kristen, right. We're anymore, not really. sad. We'll be we'll be glad dads. Glad we'll be happy dads. dads. All right, we'll be glad dads. There we go. That'll work. Glad dads.
2: That's our Hashtag glad dads hashtag Newmarkers newsmakers what is number check, five make sure to check the hashtag because you know make sure it's not something weird you know <laughs> <laughs> always a good social media that's a, practice that's like, a great
0: point chris Newmarker. Well, <laughs> while you're doing number five i will see if there's already a glad <laughs> that that we do not want to be associated with <laughs> Yeah, you know
2: always good to check always know? good to check. <laughs> oh, what gosh. is number five while well I... <laughs> number five on the uh on the list we've got um you know, we've got some uh, some big news out of Edwards Life Sciences this week. Um, they uh, launched their uh, next-gen uh, Sapien-3 Ultra Resilia Taver. And, uh, you know, and the other news, uh, we're talking on Thursday, and this was just today. They uh, won FDA approval for their uh, Pascal Precision Transcatheter Catheter valve repair system so they had this uh, really cool news right before uh, the tct conference uh, gets going over the weekend um and uh, you know pascal precision too i mean that's that's interesting because that's like for uh, treating degenerative mitral regurgitation so i that's really like their bid to compete with uh abbott and their uh, their mitral clip uh, system and uh, you know i, I was uh, actually just including some stuff from an analyst note uh, commenting that uh, that some of the data tct wasn't they, they weren't expecting a head-on-head comparison between pascal precision and MitroClip, but it, it sounded like the uh, analysts the truest were at least hoping we could uh you know glean it, glean a few things about how edwards's uh, new system compares with uh, with abbott's so uh so yeah some really so edwards are like making some um, making some big moves this week I a PCT. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, this is a, uh, this is really an exciting competitive space I had a talk recently uh, with someone about, and we'll have it on the Medtronic Talks podcast about the drug eluding stent sort of formation of the market 15 or so years ago. And this doesn't quite have that energy, but there certainly is a lot of uh, horse racing going on in this space. So it's, it's cool. Well, to see.
2: Definitely like anything that involves like, you know, being able to deliver, deliver, you know, implants of the heart, you know, via catheter versus cracking open something, somebody's chest. Um, I mean. Definitely. If, uh, you know, Lord forbid, I need that in coming decades, like, uh, like it'll, it, it'll be, it'll be great if like all that kind of stuff is, you know, available in a much, you know, less invasive way. So yeah. You know, exciting to see that roll forward. Right.
0: Before we go into to number four, I have looked up Glad Dads. It seems pretty benign. Uh, there we
2: go. All right, good. So well, someone
0: said listening to James Taylor makes me feel like a father for some reason. All dads love James Taylor, which isn't true. I'm not a big James Taylor no, fan. Yeah. But it was hashtag Rad Dads, Sad Dads, Mad Dads, and Glad Dads. So glad dads. All glad, right. There All we right. go. <laughs> what is number four in the New Markers Newsmakers? Glad Dad Newmarker.
2: Now, number four on the list, we've got uh Verily um re- you know, receiving a, a one billion dollar investment led by their alphabet uh, you know parent company. And at the same time, like the Google, this like you know, Google sister company. Um you know, announced, uh, you know, multiple leadership changes, you know, including um, their, you know, their founder, Andy Conrad is now going to be the executive chair of the board and they're promoting, uh, you know, current president, uh, you know, Stephen uh, Gillette into the, uh, into the CEO role. Do you think I pronounced that right? It's Gillette? I will go with Gillette. Uh... Gillette. Yes. We'll say G-I-L-L-E-T-T, but it could be Gillette. Yeah, no, sounds good. So he's he's getting promoted in the CEO role, and uh, you know, just uh, just showing that um, you know that it's uh, you know well actually like it's it's interesting. I mean, even when we got the article out, I noticed that you know on, on a recent you know episode of our podcast, I mean, you had Stephen Osterley on here, formerly at Medtronic, and he was saying that you know he was still all in on Google and Verily, you know, because he said technology is the only logical way to deliver health care to a massive, fast growing. Population and you know this this sure seems like uh, you know the people over Alphabet and and Google are you know very much in on this as well you know and Absolutely. you know they're putting the money in they're, they're making some leadership changes as they uh, you know plan to get uh you know uh, you know they plan to you know expand Verily and its a precision health business so
0: yeah. Yeah, he, he gave me a, a good verbal rap along the uh, along my nose when I suggested that Verily was maybe a disappointment uh, he. He disagreed politely, but uh, but vehemently. So uh, yeah, that was a good interview. Folks want to find that past episode. But yeah, no, I mean uh, it, it's I'm not betting against Verily, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> not certainly not yeah. with a billion
0: dollar investment. So I wouldn't bet
2: against Google. They seem to know how to they, do a few things.
0: They, they 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 get some stuff figured out for sure. Yeah. All right, <laughs> let us move on to number three on the new market's newsmakers, makers, Chris. Hey,
2: number three on the list, we've got uh, Johnson and Johnson announcing a, a five billion dollar uh share uh re- repurchase. You know, this is the type of move that can like, you know, help shore up uh, the value of the company's uh you know stock. Um and uh you know the Jane J CEO was, uh talking about you know the company's strong cash flow, lowest level debt in five years, you know, um, you know, saying this is just uh, you know, a show of their their confidence in the company. Um the 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 one interesting thing that's happening at the same time that they're doing this is that they're uh you know engaging in a complex you know legal maneuver right now to shield themselves from you know potentially billions of dollars in in lawsuit payouts related to you know women who who claim that their uh, their baby powders uh, you know caused uh, caused cancer so um, you know it's uh you know so you know they're they're kind of you know trying to you uh, it's 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 this legal maneuver we're seeing more companies doing where they create LLCs move the liability over them the LLC you know uh, files for bankruptcy and uh you know right now actually um uh you know there's a uh, major appeals case involved with this uh with what they're doing and the uh in the uh, you know, U S court of appeals for the third circuit. And it sounds um, there's actually a r- recent New Yorker article about it. But it looks like it's going to be a, uh, um, could be a major, major case for corporate America. So, so they're, nope. they're doing this, these, these complex, you know, you know, what appears to be controversial legal maneuvers around the, the talk litigation at the And at the same time, they're doing a $5 billion share repurchase.
0: Certainly will be a, a, a practice to watch. Obviously yeah. this, these sort of uh, lawsuits aren't exclusive to uh, two medical devices or oh, to change no. it. so uh, yeah, for sure. All right, well, what is number two on the new markers newsmakers?
2: You know, number two, we've got a uh, Smith and nephew announcing a positive data around their uh, Regenitin bioinductive implant. Um, you know, it's uh, this is for rotator cuff repair, but it's uh, you know, it's 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 an implant that you know. Is, is meant to like encourage the the body's natural healing process to kind of like uh you know change the the course of uh of tear production you know tear tear product progression sorry uh in the uh, in the shoulder so uh you know, get it get it to return to normal activity so so a lot of interest in this this is one of the most read stories on uh, on mass device this week so so you know some positive data they're uh, they're moving uh moving forward with the technology fantastic well this is uh
0: as a as an aging person i am uh, all for anything that will make repairing shoulders easier because my right shoulder is really starting to bug me a lot and uh yeah let's figure this out for tom let's do it for tom i've noticed a
2: bit of knee aching occasionally sometimes
0: mm-hmm. you know here we go yeah hashtag ouch dad yes for sure Glad dads. <laughs> 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 what is number one the new markers newsmakers chris
2: Number one on the list. Well, number one on the list. I mean, we have our um, our big one hundred report. Our MedTech Big Run hundred report is now out in full on medical design and outsourcing. There's a link on the homepage. This is uh, one of the biggest projects we do all year. Big project, big one hundred. Uh, you know, it's the one hundred largest medical device companies in the world. We've got you know data on annual revenue employee numbers uh r d spend you know descriptions of all the companies headquarters you know and uh and we you know we're you know spinning out all this uh you know content around it including a, a really good uh, story that our uh senior editor danielle kirsch put, put together And we posted this one on mass device because you know had you know mdo is more of a technology website mass device is more of a business website so we have a mm-hmm. story on mass device about the you know 10 largest med tech employers and and and, and you know we're kind of saying like what other employees really think we looked at reviews posted on Glassdoor, and uh, you know we kind of found like a lot of the the reviews actually the you know employee you know the uh employees were were actually expressing that they're you know happy to be part of you know companies that are you know working on you know, life-improving, life-saving technologies, you know, and then, you know, of course we've got, you know, some of the complaints you'll get from people when they work for really large corporations, you know, talking about, you know, bureaucracy or, or whatnot. Uh, but uh, if you're, you know, I, uh, you know, you can uh, satisfy your curiosity by going to Mass Device and looking up uh, the, the 10 largest MedTech employers and what their employees really think. You can, you know, find out who the largest companies are by, by employment and, uh, you can get some, uh, some nice quotes from, you know, Glassdoor about, you know, the pros and cons that, you know, people say around, you know, working at the different companies.
0: Yeah. And some of these are, uh, you know, again, these are anonymous, uh, comments about work, workplaces. So take what, put the value into them that you want, but, uh, they seem like they're, uh, coming from the heart and, uh, you know, they're, they're, Interesting to sort of get a, another look. We talk, obviously, with a lot of yeah. the senior executives of these companies about culture and things like that. They may see things one way from the top looking down, but it's yeah. interesting to see how those who are the recipients of, uh, of this leadership, how they see things. Exactly. So,
2: what do the rank and file really think? Yeah.
0: I would be, I, if I were in charge, I would certainly be taking a close look at these comments and, uh, and taking a measure. And I'm yeah. sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they are. It's, it's probably right. one of the
2: reasons why the page views are up for it. So
0: I would, yeah. yep. I think I'm probably contributing a lot to it too. It's just uh, it's fascinating. Thank reading. you, Tom. I'm kinda, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one though. But it's it's certainly good to go through this and, and get again a different perspective on these companies. So great job by Danielle.
2: Yeah, a lot of work. Really cool. My
0: gosh. huge yeah. project. Yeah, this this, this yep. was
2: a real team effort. Like all of the, I mean Danielle, you know, takes the lead, especially on getting that the the data the initial data all together um you know every year but you know we're really, really like uh, yeah though this is really like the whole editorial team like pitching in to get this get this together the, mm-hmm. the, the full big 100 reports so which
0: is one of another reason that you were not uh, on our recent podcast yes. cuz you you've been uh, neck deep in this as well so uh good job to your team Chris Newmarker yeah thanks tom before we begin this keynote interview with the folks at Boston Scientific, I'd like to bring back our sponsor, PAXIS. I'm talking with Dwayne Hahn. Again, Dwayne is Chief Strategy Officer and Vice President of Sales and Marketing at PAXIS. Dwayne, we'll be talking about the impact of supply chain challenges on Boston Scientific. How has PAXIS been impacted by these challenges, and how have you responded?
1: Yeah, Thanks, Tom. Yes, yeah, certainly we've been impacted. It's impossible not to be over the last two years with the multiple force majeure events impacting resins, wet chemicals, adhesives. The global supply chain challenges with foil is obviously well documented. And on top of that, we have all the logistics challenges with air freight, shipping, and truck. So, yeah, there's been many opportunities to improve. So, what have we done specifically? I think it starts with your understanding of healthcare packaging. And what quality means and what can be done to move on the fly, to think differently. We're heavily involved in many of the industry organizations, SPMC, FPA, ASTM, Amy, ISO, very long list. What does that mean? It means that we can move quickly to offer solutions with our customers and point them in a direction that allows them to get the technical data they need and to make the submission to the FDA that they may need to do in many situations. So being a closely held private company without metrics that worry about inventory turns really puts us in a strong advantage over periods like this.
0: That's great. We'll hear a little more from Dwayne Hahn and Paxos a little later in the podcast. Well, Brad Sorensen and Paddy O'Connor, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thanks for having us, Tom.
4: Yeah, thanks, Tom.
0: So, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk, uh, a lot about supply chain, uh, in this episode, which is, uh, which is actually great. I mean, I, I joked that supply chain was a lot like, uh, major league umpiring. It was, you know, if, if you didn't hear about it, you knew it was going well and that, and, and things were, uh, going smoothly, but it's always been an area of, of interest of mine, just sort of the behind the scene actions of how we get what we need to get to live our everyday lives. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Before we get into uh, into all that juicy stuff though, I'd love to understand how you both got into this this field. Brad, why don't you start us off? How did you uh, get into medtech and uh, find your way into sort of the supply chain side of things?
3: Yeah, well, interestingly enough, my initial game plan was to be an actuary.
0: <laughs> That's a first for the podcast, Brad. I'll tell you that.
3: It <laughs> doesn't seem very strategic, but I was in, I was enrolled in a, um, a master's program. Uh, to get a master's in risk management and they canceled the program and <laughs> I job and I was in grad school and I had a had a son on the way and so I pivoted to the MBA program and kind of got sucked into the supply chain side of the world uh, and that was 30 years ago and I've spent almost my entire career in supply chain from everything uh, all across the whole kind of plan source make deliver service continuum had different roles. But I'd like to say strategically, I went into supply chain. But when I did it, nobody even knew what it was.
0: That's great. And you started at Boston Scientific, right?
3: I actually started at an ammunition company making shotgun shells and that type of stuff. And then I came to Boston Scientific in 96.
0: Oh, that's a good pivot, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I think it was a good career move.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Paddy, how about you? What was your path to uh, to where you are today?
4: yeah maybe a little more traditional <clears throat> i'm an engineer by trade uh mechanical engineer and uh, you know back uh, i was 94 i left college i joined uh, a, a company called lake region uh, now integer holdings, so a uh, wonderful family one company at the time uh, and uh, you know i you know you leave college you you, you apply to 20 different places you, you don't know what you're going to do back then it was cool in ireland to join intel or Kind of the technology field, I ended up in a small med device company, it was a startup. It was it just got in my blood? I left after a few years to you know, following love up to city with you know, my girlfriend, now wife, I guess. So. But I ended up working in Air Lingus fixing airplanes, which you know, what young engineer didn't find that cool. I worked in Intel, like you know, processing chips, but I never found what I was looking for. And and uh, when I got the opportunity to join Boston Scientific in ninety uh, eight getting back into the med sector. Uh, I haven't looked back and I've been uh, with the company ever since.
0: So uh, it was the transfer uh, or, or uh, move from engineer to supply chain. Did you immediately get into supply chain or did you take an engineering role and then find your way into the supply chain side of things?
4: No, I took an engineering role. It was a production soup. I grew up in the make function for, for many years. The nice thing, though, in, in our world, you know, uh, about 15 years ago, I started running a plant and, uh, You know the the nice thing there, you have many more elements of the supply chain. So we, you know, we had sterilization and distribution on site, so very connected to the customer. So that was a great role to get a good view of the full supply chain. And then, you know, I I work in Brad's organization, so now running supply chain for Boston Scientific. Before this role, I I had an opportunity to run kind of distribution, customer service, or planning organization. So kind of got more formal kind of training I guess in, in the breadth of supply chain and, and again maybe maybe against uh, wasn't wasn't really what I was wanting to do but kind of in hindsight see the value of, of spending time in those verticals uh, to, to round out and and truly I think that, you know the organizations today that can and call themselves end-to-end organizations. And I won't say we would call ourselves that yet yeah, we certainly aspire to it. It's going to take leaders working in all those verticals and having those experiences to be able to see all the way through supply chains, in my view. So I was just very fortunate with the set of experiences they got. Um, I
3: actually think potty's underselling it a little bit when asked is a strong, is maybe not a strong enough term. When I asked Potty to take over distribution and planning, I think his first response is there's no way I want to do that. <laughs> and I, I remember telling him if you at the time i was running global supply chain and i said if if you want to sit in a seat you gotta do this job because you have to understand how this whole thing goes end to end and
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh he was in it for a few months before he came back he said okay i, I see it i get it
4: but <laughs>
3: originally it was a bit of a i had to put him in a bit of a headlock
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he doesn't hold a grudge right potty it's all forgiven then
4: it's not the first headlock, and likely won't be the
0: last. <laughs> so let's uh, let's take a look at the uh, at where we are today with, with supply chain. Uh, let's go back first to sort of when the challenges first started to emerge. I think we everyone connects it to the pandemic. Patti, you were at Device Talks Boston. I think we had talked that even before that there were some weak links that were showing up after some hurricanes and such. But when did the strain really begin to become, uh, on the supply chain, really begin to become visible? Well, Brad, why don't you, do you want to take that one first?
3: Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right, Tom. Supply chain has always been a, you know, it's a very connected kind of ecosystem all the way through from planning your products to, you know, making them, to sourcing them, to delivering them, to servicing them. But historically maybe 5 years up to 5 years ago you could kind of really bifurcate those pieces or 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 maybe trifurcate them right focus a lot on the planning get your forecasts right then when you want to go source you can find companies that can make it and they've got it and they'll ship it to you and then you just need to make it which is if you need people you go hire people and then you know you ship it around the world i would say probably over the last you know probably 3 years pre pandemic we started to see some signs of supply chain challenges that showed up in places like sterilization where there was massive consolidation,
2: hmm. in the industry,
3: which started to take capacity out, right? We saw a couple you mentioned the hurricane, right? We saw a couple of, you know, big, broad natural disasters. I mean, the hurricane in, in Puerto Rico wiped out a lot of the medical device industry on that island for quite a while. Luckily, we were in front of a lot of that with some investments we had made you know, we've always been really focused on being resilient. And so we were back up and running within a couple of weeks, but a lot of the industry wasn't so lucky. I go back five years, maybe ago, I've got presentations around, hey, here's the upcoming storm in the electronic component space, where we were seeing consolidation of chip manufacturers, we're seeing, you know, iPhone sales and Android sales explode and sucking up more and more chips and more smart you know, your fridge can talk to you. And we started to see some of those pockets emerge. And at that time, we al- we realigned the way that we source components. But then COVID kind of just threw the deck of cards up in the air mm. um, where, you know, those places where there was fragmentation, those suppliers that were maybe on the, you know, the edge of competitiveness just started to leave the industry. And then you roll on top of that fundamental distribution challenges, which have really kind of manifested in, during COVID. Previously, if you wanted to ship something somewhere, you, you can ship it. Once commercial airplanes stopped flying, that game changed fundamentally. So it's been changing some for the last probably half decade, but the last two years have you know really accelerated that in my opinion. Well, Pani,
0: I'd love to understand how that affects your sort of day-to-day work. How many fires do you do you deal with? By fires, I, don't, I hope I don't mean actual fires, but sort of challenges, do you deal with it? Is it one a day? Is it one a week? Is it five a day? Is it five an hour? I mean, how often are you finding sort of yourself having to pivot or uh, find a new solution because there's been a shortage here or there? And is that number trending up, trending down, staying steady? We'll take a quick break for our final installment with Dwayne Hahn of Paxis. Dwayne, We're learning a lot of lessons about supply chain challenges. How do you see the supply chain for healthcare evolving over the next few years?
1: Certainly, it's evolving. Uh, With all the risk and uncertainty, the traditional models of Kanban and Just-In-Time have proven to be problematic. I think the most valuable lesson learned is people's lives matter, and that in order for the supply chain to change, we have to spend a little bit more money as an industry. And for many of us, what that means is changing the way we operate and being willing to change, specifically building up large safety stocks, holding on to inventory. It just comes down to that. It's really that simple, Tom. In the end, the most impactful part of what's happened is understanding the importance of patient lives and that, yes, there is a cost to changing the way we manage supply chain, But the people we love, our friends and family, and their health far outweighs the cost of fixing this challenge and what de-risking actually means.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Dwayne Hahn, for joining us on the podcast. And thanks to Paxus for sponsoring this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. If you'd like more information about Paxus, go to their website. It's paxus.com. That's P-A-X-S-U-S dot com. I and mean, how often are you finding sort of yourself having to pivot or uh, find a new solution because there's been a shortage here or there? And is that number trending up, trending down, staying steady?
4: So, you know, we have probably just under 20,000 UPNs, you know, many families. So I would say big fires where I'm on calls like, hey, we need to talk about this. You know, there's, there's probably a new one every week or two. But what's under the you know under the under the water in the plants in the, the sourcing organization, they're probably for every one I see, there's probably a hundred more, if you might <laughs> guess, that the team are knocking down and dealing with. And uh, uh-huh. uh, doing a phenomenal job. And I think if anyone is listening, like the thanks the, the appreciation you have for the organization, you know, in our world, but probably every supply chain professional, what what they've been doing over the last two three years dealing with you know the, the fires as you call them it's just phenomenal so 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 luckily i only have that amount to deal with like uh, you know one a week i would say now they're pretty big ones and very impactful. So we, we review all the fires, you know, at least uh, all the ones that have a meaningful impact. Uh, you know, we pivot our business, how we run our business. Like Brad, but post-pandemic, when the pandemic at first, we went to like daily calls for an hour every day like 6 p.m., you know, what's going on. And, and those, type, those early days were around you know, safety and protocols and we we didn't really feel the wave of supply chain challenges probably for they started six months uh probably later as we were kind of firing back up and suddenly labor became a problem but thankfully we're pretty vertically integrated so a lot of that problem was our own so we, we kind of got through that muscle through that but today as you said it it is about component supply and the ecosystem that feeds us and i would say I wouldn't say I don't think it's getting it's changing, but it's probably getting more focused. There, there, there might be maybe less issues, and, and then I'm going to touch the wood here. But they tend to be bigger and harder to solve. Uh, I would say it would be the trend I'm seeing versus, you know, all the plates we'd spinning a year ago. We and a diva one knock it down, diva one knock it down. Now it's like we, the problems are harder, um, especially because it's getting a lot more focused on the microelectronics. As you know, longer, longer lead times.
0: I would say that I don't know if that characterizes one fear. No, that does. That does. not that's a great point that I said, how many do you see? You're at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. I'm sure there are many that gets resolved before they reach the top. So that's that. That's a, a good point. Brad, what has Boss Scientific done to move through this to avoid more fires? What, what have your solutions look like? Are you making connections with more suppliers? Uh, and I'm sure there's a multiple prong strategy, but let's let's maybe go over a couple. What has been your approach to finding solutions for the, these challenges?
3: Yeah, I would I would maybe characterize you know maybe three big ones. One around uh, sourcing and supplier management. We've been on a path for a number of years to try to consolidate the number of our suppliers.
4: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean,
3: we are we live in a medical device space, right? Making life saving devices. And as such, there is a lot of specificity, a lot of high reliability that's required, and frankly, a lot of hoops that suppliers have to jump through, that they may not have to jump through selling to a commercial company. So as such, we need to develop relationships that are long-term. We've got you know in the neighborhood of 12 to 1300 direct material suppliers, take that times probably you know, 10X the number of different sites that they might manufacture at and we've been looking to drive that down. We've continued to organize our commodity teams and to move to more strategic suppliers. In addition, we've started to reach more directly into our supply chain suppliers we used to call tier 2. So we would buy from a distributor or from a uh, someone who did a subassembly for us. Now we go direct to the supplier again because we need to make sure we've got that relationship In place. As Potty said, we're highly vertically integrated. That's been good for us, I think, in the supply chain world in these challenges, relatively speaking, because we own a lot of this. The downside is that means we might be buying lower value just from a pure dollar perspective component from suppliers, which means the leverage we create with them almost has to have an emotional aspect. Hey, Hey, remember what we do for a living. We're not making... You know, we're not selling stuff at uh, you know the local toy store here. We're making devices that save people's lives. So we realigned how we source, who we source from, and those strategic relationships. Two is really to deal with what has truly been a global labor shortage. It's been more acute in the U.S., but it's hit us everywhere. Part of that was you know just general wage inflation, although we don't like the cost of that per se that's relatively easy to deal with, right? You give people raises and, you know, at least the supply continuity problem goes away. The bigger issue is, however, that we used to, if we wanted to hire 200 people because we had capacity growth that we needed, we'd just put it out of the paper and do an open house and we could hire them. That's not the case anymore. Frankly, just getting enough people to work has been difficult. So we've undertaken a very aggressive path to really remove, try to remove the human labor dependency for things that machines can do. As an example, 30 ish percent of our people look through microscopes every day and make a go no go decision. Is this product good? They inspect it, et cetera. Automated machine learning has really moved the ball on a machine's ability to do that. And quite frankly, that's probably not the most rewarding work that our workforce is doing um, anyway. So we've started to put in more automation in those type of places to augment our direct labor capability. And in parallel, undertaking a dramatic change management uh, approach through a program we call GROW, which is really around upskilling our direct labor, creating a better career path in places that have more value add. And then finally, um, we've been retooling our entire distribution network. So where we build product, how we ship it. Historically, we would build centers of excellence, build product in one site and it would feed the rest of the globe. But with the challenges of distribution and the cost increases in distribution, we started to go to more dispersed technologies um, across the globe so that we're building locally so that we can source more locally, so we can ship more locally, Um, I wouldn't confuse that with kind of just-in-time mentality, which used to drive to that, which I think oftentimes was very much more expensive. Uh This is really about, you know, just the the pure time and effort it takes to move, ship something from Minnesota to Malaysia is prohibitive for for supplying the overall world uh, demand. We actually started moving some of that capability around the world so that we've got it where we need it.
0: Well, that's interesting. That's a lot to unpack. Let's start with the sourcing. You mentioned consolidating suppliers. I thought an approach was to actually add to your list of suppliers, have a lot of backup and a lot of duplicates. This sounds like this is, if I'm understanding my English correctly, <laughs> that you've gone in the other direction and really uh, reduced the number of suppliers you have. Is that, am I reading that correctly, Potty? Maybe you can expand on that.
4: Yeah, no, no, you, you heard correctly. So if the point is um, building, like strategic partnerships with your with your supply base so you're kind of in it together therefore so when the chips are down that you can rely on them and actually create value together you know peace times, as we say in the moment it is truly really about supply so there of course is it places where we need where we'd like to have redundancy just places where we don't have it today we'd like it there's places where we do have it that we're glad we have it so that's certainly a par- part of it as well but in general. I guess our philosophy is, is less is more, especially if they're, they're really good partnership suppliers.
0: And what are the characteristics of, of someone you'd want to enter into that relationship with? Is it a certain size, a certain number of facilities? What does a typical partner like that look like?
4: Well, there's definitely a piece of like size in the sense of absolutely confident, ongoing concern, like a, a growing, stable organization. I think there's a piece where, we're both collectively invested in what we're trying to do. That we we kind of we, uh, value improvement programs of EIP, so kind of shared cost saving efforts. So that we're working together on generating value, you know, trying to take some cost out. Obviously, if there's a quality concern, and you can pick up the phone and collaborate really well with respect to what happened, what changed, what we do to improve. So to me, they're the kind of characteristics of someone that'll it's like dealing with someone on the inside that you just partner up and call and, and collaborate.
0: Interesting. And uh, you mentioned that you have some areas where maybe you'd like some redundancies. Are you, st- are you still talking to suppliers? If someone's listening to this, should they think that Boss Scientific is all set or that you're definitely worth engaging them and there's a possibility to become one of those strategic suppliers?
4: Yeah, I would say we're not all set. I would say like it's a dynamic world. where we're, we're always launching new products. There's There's always opportunity to work with us. Both for existing and new. So, yeah, it, that's just a very dynamic world we live in. As you know, we mentioned that we lots of different products we launch, lots of new products every year. Whereas there's acquisitions, where pretty. Uh, there's there's a lot of activity in that space. So, our, our supply chain is pretty dynamic. So, by definition, you know, our supply list can be dynamic.
0: So we'll include your cell phone number in the uh, in the podcast <laughs> notes. Is that all right? No. <laughs> yeah, you, Compl- get,
4: yeah, you can get me on
3: Instagram quicker. So Sometimes. we uh-huh. Sometimes redundancy, just for the sake of redundancy, is actually kind of like a, a false sense of security. What we would love to have everywhere is, you know, essentially two strategic suppliers who are both in the mix and who can, you know, offset each other if one of them has a challenge. Um, you know, worst case scenario is you got a single supplier and they're not a good strategic partner. Next, better is having a single supplier who is a strategic supplier, strategic partner, and then best is having a couple of good strategic um, uh, partners who we can kind of share the risk with, if you will. That's a great point. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the labor part of things.
0: Brad, uh, you mentioned the adoption of technology. Is there enough opportunity there in bringing in automation and technology to offset the demand you have in labor or is it sort of just scratching the surface?
3: No, we actually think so. I mean, I would say today where we are early on, but we're making some really good progress, both through automated visualization the use of cobotics. So collaborative robots who are working right in concert with our uh, product builders or, or technicians or engineers on the line. Um, we think that there's substantial opportunity here, right to the tune of, you know, called, you know, a third of our labor force could be augmented. And the, the high quality problem we have is if you look at our growth potential or in our growth forecasts, that this automation we're driving and this increased use of different capabilities doesn't result in, okay, now we're good news. We brought in a bunch of automation. Hey, let's lay off 500 people. How do we continue to manage our growth without having to add 500 people who we probably couldn't find? And the benefit of that is we get the team on the bus with us, right? Every, there's there's no pushback, hey, you know, robots are trying to take my job away. It's, I get it. You're going to try to do the part of my job that I don't particularly love doing every day and give me stuff that's way more interesting and exciting so I can grow. So we think it's pretty dramatic. And in some parts of the organization, we've made big leaps forward. Right? We've been able to essentially, you know, hold labor flat. While well, we've been seeing, you know, 15
0: to 20% increase in output. Wow. It's amazing to me how quickly we've sort of gotten there from, it's only been a few years from robots are going to steal my job to yeah. someone's going to do this. If it's a robot, that's fine. It's just, I don't know if it was the pandemic or if the technology, robotic technologies has improved such that it, all these options are available, but we're definitely in a spot now where people see the necessity, including autonomous trucks at some point. I'm sure that's going to be a godsend. Yeah. And Potty, let's go back to the distribution. If if this is your area, sort of the building plants across the globe or different areas where, where they're needed, how that sounds like a, a huge undertaking. How far along are you in getting to where you need to be in managing that? And what does that look like? Are you partnering with a local facility that's already existing and suddenly becomes like a licensed Boston scientific site? Or are you physically building sites and starting from scratch? What does that, that process look like?
4: Largely, it's leveraging footprint we have. I, I, there will be additions, as, as you know, there's long lead times associated with that. But you know, the good news is we have plants in Latam, in, America, in the U.S., in Europe, and in Asia. So, so we kind of have a dispersed footprint and, and concentrated in four kind of those four big areas. So, so what we're trying to do is move products within our existing footprint, which is faster, more cost effective, and leverages the capabilities we have today. So, although you know. As Brad said, we are growing as well, so we are looking at where else in the world we should be doing business, and, and then thinking, you know, through the lens of all our learnings the last two years, you know, how does that inform those decisions? But right now, it's kind of leveraging the footprint we have. But I would say though, it goes beyond that. I think someone famously once said, like, never let a good crisis go to waste. With respect to kind of distribution in our world of med devices, you know, they tend to be smaller, higher value type products, um, so. As Brad said, we most have moved around the world in the, in the bellies of aircraft. And as we think about you know, our ESG commitments and, and where we're going both as a company, as a society, you know, we take this super seriously. And actually one of the I, I see, I see that the moment we're in today as a catalyst to make progress in that space. And uh, to me I'm super excited about that. As we think, like not just about how we move product between A and B, because sometimes we go A, B to C. Like, can we just go straight straight from A to C? What does that mode look like? Why? What, you know, maybe. Maybe inventory isn't the most important metric anymore, and we and we leverage some investment to, that that creates value with respect to both cost and the environment. When we think about carbon footprint, it's becoming a more standard measure. It's in our in our company. We're, we're really trying to be serious about that, and I think it'd be great when industry and catches up with some standards in that space that we can all kind of play in that space on a level playing field, which I think will come. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're not waiting, we're moving at rapid speed as to how we can rewire, how we deliver product as well, up to and including how we kind of package and configure product uh, so that we kind of we ship it in the smallest possible container that's recyclable, that has EDFUs, you know. Oh, oh, like But well, that's a real living program that we're super jazzed about. It was, in, it was on our work list and we were working on it, but I think the pandemic has helped us to uh, Kind of double down and really go at it with conviction. So you know, outside of outside of all we believe personally with respect to the environment, and you know, and I like personally believe we need to change as a, as a humanity in that space. But at, and we need to do our part. I'm super, as I said, I'm super excited about what we're doing and what we can do in this space.
0: That's great. That's another, another great point, Brad. So are you able to share any sort of success stories where you were you faced a challenge and you're that you were able to overcome and and were able to get products out to the folks who needed them?
3: Yeah. I mean, without going into detailed specifics, I mean, I can tell you there's, there are, let's, there, I've got a couple of examples from electronics space and, you know, obviously there's a global electronics shortage. We, you know, you see it, everything from, you know, major manufacturers, auto manufacturers saying, Hey, we're going to stop building, building cars for a month to, you know, you can't open the wall street journal without seeing an article about electronics uh, shortages. We've had frankly, you know, probably a handful of, of places where we were told these components were just unattainable and the lead time moved from six weeks to 50 weeks. And based on some of the strategic relationships that we've developed with suppliers, based on the fact that we've started to create more direct relationships with people that were used to be tier two, tier three suppliers, based on our connection into You know, industry forums, et cetera. You know, we leveraged some of those relationships and and went out and talked to some of these first tier suppliers, the, the chip manufacturers themselves, and talked very frankly here's what our purchase order was, but here's what we really need, right? We need this by this date, or this number of patients will be impacted. And we have spent the time to explain to them what our products do, how they impact lives, right? What the actual healthcare impact of that would be. And we've been largely successful, right? Not 100% successful, but successful in a number of spaces where, to put things in context, right? We're saying, hey, we need 38,000 of these components for, you know, here's our purchase order covers for the next year. And they came back and they said, tell us what it takes so we don't impact patients, which means they're getting it, right? We, our message has got through to them. They are a partner and we say, we need 4,000 of these, you know, six weeks from now. And, you know, senior level executives in those organizations said, okay, you've got my commitment. You will get 4,000 units. We will talk to other customers who we know are taking this for inventory, we'll give you 4,000 of them and we'll keep you alive. Now, when we sit and look at like, you know, inventory reports, it continues to be read because- You know, we don't have the six weeks of safety stock we'd like. We got two days, but we've gotten commitment. Hey, they'll keep us running so that we can continue to to provide uh, products for our customers and our patients. As I said, we are not betting 100% in that world because sometimes they're just pure physics of here's how long it takes for, you know, kind of the, the gestation period for those products to flow through. But where they've been able to find Available inventory and divert potentially just to just to help us. We've had good product. We've had good progress, and I think it's. My dad used to always say, and, and I've heard other people say it. You know, the time to to make a friendship is not when you need it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We've built these relationships, and then you know we're calling, and I think we've been done a good job being honest, saying, yeah, we'd like thirty eight thousand, so we're covered for a year. But what we need is four. Mm-hmm. Got to give us four. That's the no kidding around impact the patients and our suppliers for the most part have responded. I think have uh, appreciated our, our honesty there.
0: That's great. Potty, any, uh, anything come to mind with that question?
4: Yeah, got several, but one that's totally different to the one Brad brought up early in the pandemic of goes back to the labor challenge. We, 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 we had a plant in the Midwest that had some, uh, you know, just Costa Ricans working there from just interplant transfers. And labor was becoming a challenge, and uh, one of the guys, an awesome dude, came up with this idea: Well, wh- why don't we hire native Spanish speakers? Like only Spanish speakers. So when we think about the heart the pandemic brought to a lot of folks that you know, the, the hospitality industry, where people were working in different industries that were devastated, and then kind of the bringing together of that 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 challenge and our challenge, and pivoting to. why don't we designate three lines let's let's use our friends in costa rica to rewrite all our kind of documentation in spanish and within about like you know we we had a couple of shifts up and running in no time like the word of mouth in that community really helped and i i think that is growing to be like a standard stable in our organization in that organization on about probably 25 percent of our workforce are only spanish-speaking and it's it's created as it's midwest so interesting collision of cultures but uh it's just phenomenal to see how it's come together and each different community learning off each other we're giving spanish classes to supervisors and engineers and anyone else wants to learn it's a just a huge uh, kind of uh, solving two problems in the moment um uh, super 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 program
0: that's fantastic let's uh look forward a bit in terms of Acquisitions. Boston Scientific has been a very acquisitive company over the last couple of years. How involved are you, both in, or is your are your areas involved in assessing the supply chains and the supplier lists of of acquired companies? And is that is that something that can factor into whether a deal gets done or not? Brad, maybe you can kick it off.
3: Yeah, um, it absolutely does factor in, and we are uh, intimately involved. Every deal that we do. The supply chain assessment is one of the most critical aspects, right? You know, clearly the revenue opportunity, quality performance of the company and, um, you know, synergies we can get in supply chain. I, mean, I would maybe our m a team would I'm probably missing one or two, but those are kind of the big four in my mind. And as we look at uh, acquisitions, typically they've got a challenge in one of those four and oftentimes in the supply chain space. If a company is looking to be acquired, it's because they've got a, a you know cool technology that has some opportunity and they may don't have the sales force or they haven't built it for scale, because you don't get a huge incremental return. You don't get to sell your company for 50% more if you got a great supply chain, mm-hmm. right? You sell it because of the, the fantastic market opportunity. And then people like us come in and you know fix the supply chain. And so we are intimately involved in assessing it up front. And there are times, there are cases where we've said, we can't fix this on the timeline we need to, we're not going to do the deal. Mm-hmm. But I would say more times than not, as we get in and assess it, our perspective is, okay, here are the things we need to do to fix it. And one of the common tenets for that for us is no negotiation around whether or not the organization will be integrated. We acquire a company, we integrate it, full stop. Period. That's the way we operate. Mm-hmm. You know, tell people day one, and, and the benefit we get from that is we get some of the unique capability, product, process knowledge that that company brings with it. But we bring the power of our systems, our tools, our relationships, and you know, immediately out of the gate, they might have a supplier list of six hundred suppliers. We look at it and say, good, one hundred and fifty of these are already our strategic partners we go to them and say, move them to the top of the list with the rest of us, they're not they're one of us, right? They're, it's like being in the mob, they're a friend of ours. So you gotta treat them like that. And then the others we look at and say, hey, is there a unique capability here where we have to bring that supplier into our network, into, into the fold? And frankly, there are probably you know 30 to 40% where we say, you know what? Not a supplier we want to stay with for the long term. Here's our strategy to move it to one of our partners. But we, we do it literally out of the gate because um, as we bring products in, it typically is expanding, you know, in a category that we're already in or entering a new category. And just the sales capability we'll bring to the table will accelerate their growth mm-hmm. beyond what they had scaled their supply chain for. Uh, up
0: to that point. Great. Patti, anything to add to that?
4: The only thing I'd add is that, as Brad said, we take it very seriously. So, like, you know, once we get through the deal and we're rolling, we we see the integration part as a, a real important step. And, and, hence we 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 centralized some of that capability not a m- massive team just like 20 or 30 folks that sit centrally our, our our supply chain organization is 20 plus thousand people so taking 20 or 30 people with real key competencies that, that we can leverage so that we can accelerate that integration because with everyone we always look back and say that was awesome i wish we went even faster so that so and we find that capability there's a lot of rinse and repeat. They're all different, but a lot of the processes are rinse and repeat. So, but why not take those things and make it easier and repeatable? And then we deal with the nuance of the technology, the idiosyncrasies of the ramp, or whatever that might look like, challenges. So, that was a fun place to be working in is in the integration. So, you get to meet new people, new technologies, you learn something new. It's, it's always, always interesting. And, and, and maybe,
3: Tom, I would just, just anecdotally, right? I actually cut my teeth in this space. Fifteen years ago, this was part of my job. We buy a new company, I'd go in and help integrate it. And and we've called that group "instant offense" for quite some time. But we don't do it like you know. It's not like getting assimilated into the Borg. Here we <laughs> we we go in and we try to provide. Hey, here's the construct. We're clear about we're going to integrate. But we pull that team in and we say, "Here's our roadmap. Here's the path. If you want to be on the path with us, fantastic. But this is the path." And I have heard multiple times, and there's no reason for people to, sometimes people who are even, you know, a site we might be closing, have said, I've been involved in three acquisitions. Boston Scientific is, is as good at this as anybody I've seen. I think this is a real strength of ours. There's no gray area. We walk and say, here's our game plan. Here's what we want to do. Right? We're here to help you do that, but this is this is the path we want to run on.
0: I would imagine if you, if you do that sort of stuff well, it just, uh, makes those deals easier to do. You just realize value more quickly and things just, uh, sort of come together faster for everybody. So it, yeah, it's, it's a
3: kind uh, of advantage.
0: Yeah, for sure. So final question, Paul, you can start us off. You mentioned a little bit earlier sustainability and using recyclable materials and ESG. One would think that in a crisis or difficulty or a challenge, whatever we want to call this period, you know, that stuff might go get tossed to the wayside. Like I just got to get the job done. How is sustainability sort of factored into what you're doing, how you're, how you're moving forward in, in supply chain?:
4: Yeah, I think yeah, sometimes you could say to yourself as an, an, a natural starting point, would those be in conflict? I think exactly the opposite. I think they work absolutely hand in hand. So if, you, if all you care about is money and cost, then the good news is like putting things on the ocean versus in the air is much less expensive. Not as inexpensive as it used to be, but compared to air, much less expensive. When you look at carbon footprint, it's thirty x less of, a, of an environmental impact. So, how do you wire your network to make that true, and still have the agility and service needs for your customer base? Well, real. So, so what needs to be true in your supply chain with respect to how you pack products, how you set up your lanes, where, you know, how you think about your manufacturing locations versus your markets so so to me it's just mindset and um, the amount of wins in this space so and what i was talking about earlier was bringing to life you know more environmental packaging like you know you know the industry you walk into a, an OR, or a hospital you know, all you see is fancy shiny boxes and one is shinier and fancier than the next but they're not all recyclable because we use these fancy labels so how about we change the industry that you know we, we ship? edible boxes for kicks and giggles, but certainly recyclable ones that that truly make a meaningful difference to kind of the hospital way. So when we think about the ecosystem of healthcare, uh, we're all in it together, you know, scope one, scope two, scope three, we're scope three for someone else and and vice versa. So the suppliers, the, the manufacturers, the healthcare providers, we all have to work together. So, and we're going to have to think differently. But honestly, there's there's absolute wins in there for for everyone. Whether you care about the P&L or the environment, we need to go together.
0: Great, and and Brad, I mean, just final sort of overview point. I mean, we talked about a lot today. How you've, you're changing your relationship with suppliers, introduction of new technology to make up for or compensate for labor difficulties, where you're you're building your distribution sites. We're talking about sustainability. I mean, this you're going through a lot of changes. What does this process look like coming out? Do you know? Do you have like a plan? This is what we're going to look like in 2025. Or does that look dramatically different than what it looked like in, in 2019?
3: Well, it, I think it does. And interestingly enough, we actually, uh, we we call the the effort Network 2026. And that's by one. Yeah, you're only off by one. So <laughs> it has a number of pillars associated with it. But Potty and I were just talking today about you know, a number of things along these fronts. And what was interesting as we were talking through it, we have a presentation to the board of directors on this in a in a few weeks. We were asking each other, do you think we're using the word transformational too much here? <laughs> you know, Everything we were talking about is, this is gonna transform how we do this. And I actually think the answer Tom, is, is no. I think we're using just the exact amount, the right amount, you know, not to get too, you know, esoteric here, but you know, it isn't lost on anybody within boston scientific that at the end of the day right we make medical devices that save lives our products have to be where patients need them when they need them or you know bad things happen i always tell my kids right we're not going out and grabbing healthy people off the street and implanting devices in them these people have fundamental health issues that they look to us maybe they look to their doctor and their doctor looks to us to help resolve and so as such Yeah, there's a global pandemic. Yeah, there's a a global supply chain challenge, right? Yeah, freight and labor and sourcing um, are all challenges, but so what, right? People are still getting sick. And and so we have to figure out how to change this. And I don't think that those, the changes that need to be made are incremental. We've got to fundamentally think about some things differently. Like where we build it, how we buy components, how we move stuff around the world or there are very real life implications far beyond, you know, a and statement. So it's going to be a lot different by 2026. We got a roadmap. My guess is there'll be a couple of forks in the road where we'll turn left or right that we don't see yet as things come come about, but I like our strategy as we sit here today.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's uh, I think a really strong point to end on. I learned a lot and, uh, continue to find supply chain even, even more fascinating than they did at the start of the conversation. So thank you both for your, your time and insights today.
4: Okay. Thanks Tom. Yeah. Thanks Tom.
0: All right. Glad dad, Chris Newmaker hashtag Gladdad. where can folks find you on social media other than under the gladdad hashtag Gladdad uh, thread, I guess is the term.
2: Don't, don't start a new nickname for me, Tom. Like, <laughs> I don't want that.
0: You don't want that. All right. You know, unless, we'll drop
2: dads Unless I could parlay into it. Like if I get like, you know. Would you rather be sad I, Dad, I, I, I know do... Glad Dad's has to get some, you know, <laughs>
4: <laughs> maybe I can get like
2: a, a lifetime supply of like uh you know, some some brand of snacks and beer because I become their spokesperson, you know. <laughs> well, it's all right. Instead,
0: use hashtag DT West2022. Yeah, there we go. That'll, that'll give you all the information about Device Talks West, which is happening on October 19th and 20th. At the Santa Clara Convention Center, uh, our agenda is up. We're announcing our speakers now, uh, and we're looking forward to uh, to meeting yeah. all of you in Santa Clara. So it's make a sure great lineup.
2: I mean, like, like having you know someone like Intuitive, uh, you know, CEO Gary Godhart there, and you know, just uh, just just really uh, really awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm going to yeah. be there. I'm I'm grateful to
0: to all the companies that are participating. Penumbra, Shockwave, Abbott, Boston Scientific. Outset Medical. Outside yeah. Medical. Yeah. Yep. We'll have a lot of different companies sort of sharing their insights on on product development and on operations. We'll have great panels with uh with some of the C- CMOs and, and medical professionals at the larger companies talking about their input on on d D. You've got to be there and, uh, or be square. That's that's, just, that's it's just, it. just 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 say that. That sums it all up. I'll stop talking because you're right. Yeah. You're not there, then you are square. If you want to be cool like us, you got to be there. Hashtag cool dads. Cool dads. Right.
2: There we go. All right. <laughs> Where are you on social media, Chris and Newmarker? You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker, and of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. So, yeah, always, always happy to you know chat with people, find out about new cool things. Fantastic, and I am on Twitter at MedTech
0: Tom on LinkedIn Tom S A L E M I. We want people to do what with this podcast, Chris. Like,
2: follow, subscribe.
0: Please do all of those things. And uh as I mentioned in uh at the top and in a a previous message, we uh those who liked, followed, and subscribed on the uh to SoundCloud through and listened through their Apple podcast. They didn't receive their episodes last week. I don't know why I didn't go through, but we fixed the glitch and uh that should be solved so. If you haven't already looked past, you'll see a striker talks episode that went out last week and you'll see last week's device talks weekly, which included interviews with clearly and Heartflow. So, uh, you cool replaced
2: stuff. the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Apple posting hamster we had like rest of peace. Yes. That's
0: no. right. I think I just, I think I tripped over the Apple wire in the podcast room and just pulled it right out of the wall. Yeah. You gotta. yeah. I'm so clumsy. Kristen marker. It's just insane. So, mm-hmm. uh. All right. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast, so you'll get Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks, and Device Talks weekly on that channel. And of course, subscribe to Medtronic Talks; they have their own channel and uh, a lot of great content going that way as well. We'll have a new episode coming out uh,
2: two weeks. A Wealth what? of medtech and med device information, veritable yes. flood of it. It's
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a torrent. You're right, yes. flood torrent, whatever gusher. Lots of great stuff coming your way. So, yeah. all right. That is a wrap. Chris Newmarker. good to have you back. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Tune in next week, we'll have another episode of this podcast sent directly to you.
2: Take care, everybody. Talking soon.